Well, good morning, everybody, and thanks, Robin. Uh, if you guys don't know, Robin's in a, a vital part of this church. She does a lot of the work that you guys don't see behind the scenes. And if you don't know, yesterday was her birthday. <clears throat> so if you get a chance today, ask her how old she is. Uh, she loves that. Hey, open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 28. Isaiah 28. Uh, if you, we'll get there in just a minute. If you uh, don't have a Bible, there should be one of these around you. It's on page 491 of that Bible. If you don't own a Bible, you should take this one home with you because you're going to need to read it uh, and keep up with it. So I have a question. I want to start off with a question this morning. How many of you um, have started, uh, have planted a garden? Anybody have a garden at your house, at your apartment? A lot of you? Good, good. Uh, let me ask you, even if you don't have one, maybe you know this, what kind of tasks do you have to do if you're going to have a garden? Just, just shout them out. You have to do weeding, right. Okay, what else? Watering, good. Harvesting, plant, you have to plant something, right? Digging, right? Weeding, okay, so you have to, you, you've got a few things you've got to do, right? There's a lot of stuff. It does, it's not as simple as just uh, casting seed out there. It's not as simple as just uh, hoping that the right plants grow in your garden. Let me ask you this, though. You've got you've to get that soil ready, right? You've got to, we'll call it cultivate the soil. What would happen if all you did was cultivate the soil all year? Well, you might grow some things there, but you don't really have a choice over what you grow there, right? We don't know what's going to pop up out of there. Well, we're in this series called Love Where You Are. We've been talking about the words of Jesus in Matthew 22, uh, where he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And this statement by Jesus was so pervasive in his teaching, it was so common that it's often called the great commandment. And what we've said for the last couple of weeks is, what would happen if we as a church, if we as followers of Jesus, would decide to take the second half of that great commandment literally and actually love our real neighbors, you know, our real next-door neighbors, the people who live around us, the people who live above us and below us if we're in an apartment building, uh, the people that we see every day, the people that live closest to where we sleep. You know, what if we were to take Jesus seriously and love those people? And so for the last two weeks, we've encouraged you to do things uh, to get to know those neighbors. Uh, whether you're in a neighborhood, an apartment, a condo, uh, maybe you're going off to college this fall, you're saving up ideas from this series for your dorm. But, but we gave you this neighbor map. It looks like this uh, for the first two weeks of this series. Hopefully you had the chance to pick one of these up. And we ask you uh, a few things. We, we said uh, start filling this out. And so we, there are three blanks on there if you don't have that with you. Uh, blank A is for your neighbor's name. So we've got your closest eight. Here's your house in the middle you know, or your place of residence. You've got your closest eight neighbors. And we said, hey, blank A, just get to know their names. And that was the assignment week one. Just get to know their names. Uh, figure out the eight people closest to you and, and get to know. We said, if you're really going to love somebody well, it helps to know their name, right? And so that was week one. And then blank B was for some piece of information about your neighbor. You know, where do they work? What do they like? Uh, where do they come from? Where did they meet? Something you can't learn from just sitting in your yard and watching them, observing them. is something that comes from a casual conversation uh, with your neighbor. And then last week, the challenge was to help you fill out more of this information, we asked you to uh, do something in your neighborhood that was going to help you get to know your neighbors better. Uh, we said we could do a prayer walk, a cookout, a bonfire, an ice cream social, a kickball game. Uh, how many of you did that? 
No guilt here, but just if you did that, how many of you did that? Well, I know we've, I've heard a few stories. Good. So some of you have done that. You've done your homework already. Others of you still have homework to do. That's okay. There's no penalty for being late here, all right? It's great, and it's important. But if you can compare your neighborhood to a garden for a second, all of that stuff is really cultivating. It's all really cultivating the soil. You're preparing the soil. You're building relationships. It's like plowing up ground. And if you're doing it right and you're doing it with the right motivation, um, you're preparing that soil for the next step. That's what building relationships is all about. And and that's important. And and for some of you who want to go a little bit deeper with that and want to know more about that, I just want to let you know and remind you that I'm I'm co-hosting a workshop with my friend Kevin Russell. Uh, Many of you know Kevin. He's the groups and discipleship pastor here at Genesis Church. And we're doing a, a Love Where You Are workshop. This Saturday, June the 6th, at our Noblesville campus, it's from 9 to 11 a.m., and child care is going to be provided, but you've got to sign up. And so you can do that on your connection card. You can sign up, just put Love Where You Are workshop in your name and take it to the info hub, or you can do it on our website at genesischurch.me. But remember, we've also said that people aren't projects, right? That we need to love our neighbors no matter if they ever accept an invitation to church. Uh, we need to love our neighbors even if they never find their way back to God. But if you've been changed by the gospel of Jesus, there's a good chance you want your neighbors to know that. You you want your neighbors to know that same peace that you have and that same love and mercy and grace. And fortunately, God has given us an, an outline, I think, a process for what to do next. When you're tired of cultivating and you're ready to take that next step, and it's here in Isaiah 28. And so if you have that, we're going to start Isaiah 28, verse 23. Just opened to the wrong page, sorry. Isaiah 28, verse 23, he says this, Listen and hear my voice. Pay attention and hear what I say. Now, this is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. And so he takes the first two phrases of this passage to tell us, listen up. So I think what he's going to say is important, right? That's what it means. If you tell your kids, hey, listen to me, whatever you say next, they better listen to, right? Right? Moms and dads, you agree? And so this is what's happening. Uh, God says, listen and hear my voice. Pay attention to what I say. Then he says this, verse 24. When a farmer plows for planting, does he plow continually? Does he keep on breaking up and working the soil? Well, this is a rhetorical question, obviously. We know that when farmers plant, they don't just break up the soil. They have other things to do, right? And everybody at the time would have known this if they were reading this. It says, when he has leveled the surface, does he not sow caraway and scatter cumin? Does he not plant wheat in its place, barley in its plot, and spelt in his field? So those are all different seeds that uh, the Isaiah, the Lord is speaking through Isaiah, is saying, hey, the farmer plants these seeds, right? After he works the soil long enough, he decides to plant these seeds. And God instructs him and teaches him the right way. Caraway is not threshed with a sledge, nor is the wheel of a cart rolled over cumin. Caraway is beaten out with a rod and cumin with a stick. So now he's starting to give instruction on how to harvest those crops, right? So he says, hey, you got to plow that soil. You got to cultivate that soil. And then you got to plant these seeds and every seed's planted in a different way. And now he's saying, now here's how you reap. Then you've got you've to uh, harvest these plants, and every plant is harvested in a different way. Grain must be ground to make bread, so one does not go on threshing it forever. The wheels of the threshing cart may be rolled over it, but one does not use horses to grind grain. All of this comes from the Lord Almighty, whose plan is wonderful, whose wisdom is magnificent. 
And so what I want to do today with this passage is to use it to help us go deeper in relationships and in conversation with our neighbors. Because if you're not a Christian, you may want to have deep relationships with your neighbors, and that's great. I think this will help you too, all right? But if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, you need to be extra intentional because you have neighbors who are facing eternal separation from God. And if you have neighbors that don't know Christ, that's their eternity. That's what they're looking at. And and if you found your way back to him, then you need to care about that. That should concern you. You are living around the walking dead. Now, fortunately, we found an acronym that I think should help you remember this. Because what do you do when someone's dying? Well, in some cases, you might perform CPR, right? You might perform CPR. Now, I learned CPR last summer. Our staff actually took a day-long class in how to perform uh, CPR, and uh, I have a card to prove it. I, have, I am a card-carrying, somewhere, certified CPR. I am certified until July of 2016. And so if you're going to have a heart attack in front of me, you better do it before July 2016 because uh, after that, I may forget how to do it. I don't know that I trust myself with this, but we did learn that our whole staff uh, took this class on how to do CPR. We learned the whole process, how to assess the situation when someone collapses, how to you know, clean, up, clean out the mouth and open up the airway, and then how to administer CPR either with or without mouth-to-mouth. So you'll be happy to know that, right? We even talked about how to perform chest compressions at 100 beats per minute. Right, which, uh, by the way, I don't know if you know this, it's the same tempo as the Bee Gees song, Staying Alive, which is ironic because you see how well I'm doing there at 100 beats per minute. I was singing the song in my head. That's crazy. But I'm not up here this morning to teach you CPR, okay? We're not going to talk about this. I love that it's right to the beat. Man, I did so well there. Did you see how I was keeping right with the beat? Oh, that was so good. But I'm not up here this morning to teach you CPR, at least not physical CPR. But what I want to talk about today, when you're surrounded by people, friends, family, neighbors, all right, who are spiritually dead, we can use spiritual CPR to help bring them back to life. Now, I've included a little description in your notes so you can follow along, but as a special gift to those of you who love taking notes and always want to make sure you get every blank filled, what I'm going to do this morning is give you all three blanks at the same time. All right, And so if you're that kind of person, you're welcome. Now, this is me. I know I always like to have these filled out. And so I'm going to give you all three blanks at once. C is cultivate. P is plant. R is reap. Cultivate, plant, and reap. And when you read this passage from Isaiah 28, you can kind of see the pattern there. And our relationships with others, our relationships with our neighbors, uh, if we want to be the most effective at seeing people come to Christ... You know, if we want to help people find their way back to God, if we want to do what Jesus called us to do, which is go and make disciples, we can't just cultivate. We can't just build relationships. In other words, it's not enough, as important as that is, to just keep uh, you know, building relationships with your neighbor. That one way, if you're really going to love them, we need to take the other steps too, just like we would when we're planting a garden. Uh, you need to plant the seeds that you want to see take root in their lives. Now, when it comes to cultivating, we maybe get a little uncomfortable, especially with people we don't know well, but planting is even that much harder. Uh, Planting is about uh, starting spiritual conversations in a strategic way. Now, sometimes when we think about sharing our faith, I know um, 
A lot of us gravitate towards the words of St. Francis who said, preach the gospel at all times, use words if necessary. But Romans 10 tells us something different. Romans 10, 17 says, consequently, faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word about Christ. So I, I can tell what you're thinking. And you can see the gears meshing in your head. Are you saying that I've got to build relationships, build relationships, build relationships, and then, aha, do the bait and switch, and then start telling them about Jesus? No, that's not what I'm saying. Like some kind of street preacher that all of a sudden you turn into somebody who's preaching at your neighbors. That's not what we're doing here. And uh, like the gardener, the best gardener, continues to cultivate even after he's planted. Like he... He cultivates while he's planting, right? You've got uh, certain seeds that the soil has to be specially prepared around, and they get planted at a certain depth, and then uh, sometimes seeds don't take root, and you've got to do it again, and then sometimes weeds grow up, and you've got to cultivate the soil around that seed. You've got to keep doing that. I mean, even after you cultivate the soil to have the best chance of success, you're going to have to carefully dig and weed and gently lay the seed down. And, and, but here's the spiritual equivalent to that, all right? Ask a question. The best way... I think, to get a spiritual conversation started is to ask a question. So many times we don't start spiritual conversations because we don't feel like we know the right words. Like, in this situation, what am I supposed to say to this person, especially if they're struggling, if they're hurting, if they don't understand, and we feel, if you're a follower of Jesus, you kind of feel that responsibility. Don't you feel that burden to know all the answers? But sometimes the best thing to do is ask a question. My, my friend Kevin Russell uh, says, he, he loves to say this, he says, questions open doors in the spiritual realm. I love that. I found that to be true. And so maybe to start a spiritual conversation, you ask a question that's going to take the relationship a bit deeper. A question like, do you ever think about spiritual things? Uh, do you ever wonder what it would be like to talk to God? Do you think it's possible to know God personally? Maybe you ask a question like that. If that person's a believer and you want that relationship to go a little deeper, maybe you ask this question. What's God teaching you right now? So many times when I'm trying to get to know somebody, uh, the question I'll ask is, how are you doing? But do we ever really know how to answer that question? I mean, in general, life is good, but there's these things that we're struggling with and we're thinking about and that are worrying us and that are bringing us down. And if, if you and I don't know each other very well, I don't know that I'm really ready to share that with you yet. And so when you ask, how am I, how am I doing? What am I going to say? Oh, fine. Busy, but fine, right? That's kind of what we say. And that's the depth of our conversation. But if you say, Steve, what's God teaching you right now? You know what I have to do? I have to like probe back in my memory bank and think, okay, what am I learning? What, what is he teaching me right now? What am I thinking about? What am I praying about? Maybe that's a good question. What, what, are, what are you praying about right now? Or how can I pray for you? You know, it, it makes you think about not only what you're going through in life, but the role that God is playing in that. Now, it will probably not surprise you to know that Jesus was a master of the spiritual conversation. Uh, maybe the best example of this comes in the book of John, chapter 4. I'm gonna, I'll read that for you. Uh, when he's walking through Samaria, he meets this woman who is drawing water from a well in the heat of the day. And chances are, if you've been around church at all, you know this story. But we'll start at John 4, verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it, was that, or who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, If you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep, 
where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will be, uh, become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to draw water. He said to her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. When you've, what you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans uh, worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. And the important thing in this story for us to take away when it comes to starting spiritual conversations is not necessarily what Jesus said. Um, you are not the Messiah. I'm not the Messiah. We don't have that to fall back on. What I want to see is how quickly he turns the conversation from a simple question, would you give me a drink of water, to a conversation about God and about a relationship with him and about her sin and turning from her sin. He, he points out her behavior, but does it in a loving way. He, he points her to worship. He points her to salvation. And we don't know how long this conversation took, but what did it take me to read it? Maybe a minute to read that story. And in that minute, he cultivates, he plants, and he reaps. Now, remember, he'd never met this woman before this. Each seed in the field needs to be planted differently. Look back at that passage in Isaiah. It says, when he has leveled the surface, does he not sow caraway, sow caraway and scatter cumin? Does he not plant wheat in its place and barley in its plot and spelt in his field? So each seed needs to be planted a little differently. But the good news is, if you pray before starting these conversations, God will show you how. I mean, after all, it also says in verse 26, God, his God instructs him and teaches him the right way. Now, sometimes we have to plant multiple seeds to have one sprout. I see that in my garden. Maybe you do too. Uh, some seeds never sprout. That's not our responsibility. We just need to be faithful to cultivate, to plant, and then reap. Now, if planting is hard for you, let me tell you that reaping is probably the toughest part of this whole thing. It's the most difficult part of this process for most of us. Reaping includes discerning when someone is ready to turn their life over to Christ. They're ready to start a relationship with Jesus and, uh, and then us guiding them there. I want you to picture this like a fruit tree. I'm saying apple tree, okay? If you have an apple tree in your yard, chances are that at any one time in the fall, there are apples that are ready to be harvested. There are apples that are not ready to be harvested, and there are apples that are way past harvest time, right? And so uh, we don't want to let them get past harvest time. We don't want to get them, let them get overripe. We want to make sure that we can reap at the right time. There's a timing issue with reaping. 
But we get some instruction on that too. After Jesus finished his conversation with the woman at the well, the disciples catch up with him. They'd been out buying food. But while they were doing that, this woman was telling her whole town what had happened in this encounter with Jesus. She says, I found this man who knows everything I did. And the people from the town are like, well, I mean, everybody knows everything you did, right? I mean, she has this reputation. And she said, yeah, but he's not from here. And he still knew, I think this man is the Messiah. And so the whole town starts coming together toward this well to see this man that she says is the Messiah. So you've got this unusual scene of a whole town coming to learn about Jesus. At the same time, the disciples are coming back from buying food and they find that Jesus had been talking to this woman and they want to scold him for that because one, she's a woman all by herself at this well and he's a man and two, she's a Samaritan and he's a Jew. But Jesus stops them in their tracks and he says this, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. He says, don't you see? There's a whole population of people out there that are dying to find their way back to God. I need people to go reap. I need people to go and harvest. And and this is where you get some relief, I think, along with... Uh, further instruction, because he doesn't say that in this instance, but a couple other times when Jesus uses this analogy about the fields being ripe, the harvest being ready, he says this, uh, something like this in Luke 10. He told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send workers into the harvest field. And so here's the thing. Uh, It can get a little overwhelming to think about this when you think about reaching your neighbors. How can I, uh, one person, how am I supposed to reach everyone in my neighborhood? How am I supposed to reach everyone in my dorm? How am I supposed to reach everyone in my apartment complex? How am I supposed to cultivate relationships with all of them, plant seeds with all of them, reap the harvest from all of them? I mean, I'm leading my family. I'm in a small group at church. I've got people that I work with that I care about too. I mean, isn't it just a little overwhelming to think, okay, it's my responsibility to reach every person in my neighborhood, to cultivate, plant, and reap with all of them. Jesus reminds us, you're not. You're not. It's, It's his harvest, not yours. And he says, he tells us, the workers are out there. We just need to ask the Lord of the harvest to send them. We need to pray that he would send them. What's going to happen? You start cultivating these relationships. You start finding out about the names on this neighbor map. What you're going to find is there are some other people in your neighborhood or in your apartment building that want to see the same thing happen as you do. There are other people on here that that want to see, that would love to see your neighbors come into a saving relationship with Jesus. And so what do you do with that? As you pray, as you work the field, you're going to find those people. So how do you deal with that? Well, team up. You don't have to do this by yourself. I mean, form form a team, form a spiritual CPR team. As you find kingdom workers that are already in your neighborhood, uh, start praying for your neighborhood together. Get together once a week, uh, every other week, and, and, and start praying for your neighbors. Divide up the neighborhood as you start working on this. Divide up the houses or the apartments or whatever. Start cultivating and planting and reaping together. Look back at uh, John 4 again, the woman at the well. The very beginning of this passage, I want to point something out to you. John 4, verse 3 and 4, it says, So he left Judea, Jesus, went, left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. 
Now he had to go through Samaria. Now the truth is, we know from geography, we know logistically, Jesus didn't have to go through Samaria to get from Judea to Galilee. Judea was in the south, Galilee's in the north, Samaria's kind of off to the west. So he didn't have to go, I'm not defying scripture, okay, but he didn't have to logistically go through Samaria. But he had to go through Samaria. Why? Because the Holy Spirit led him there. Jesus was so in tune with the Holy Spirit that he, he always did what the Holy Spirit instructed him to do. And so the Spirit, I believe, led him into Samaria, into this encounter with this one woman so that many people in her neighborhood might be saved. Let me ask you, is it possible that God wants to do the same thing with you in your neighborhood? If you have your neighbor map with you right now, I'd love for you to get it out. If you don't, I want you to kind of picture in your head the the houses right around you. And as you look over this card, it's a little bit overwhelming even to think about eight neighbors and reaching eight neighbors. But there's a chance that if you've been doing this, if you've been praying about this and learning people's names, that the Lord has put one or two names on your heart. That, that that's a person I need to reach. That's a person that I can tell the Lord wants me to reach out to, to cultivate relationships with. Her. That's a person I want to start planting seed with. That he's calling you especially to reach out to one or two of these people. And we thought it'd be a really cool way to end this series to get our entire church praying for those people. And so in the back of the room right there, we've got this giant Love Where You Are poster. Uh, the band is coming out now. And... They're going to play a song. It's a song we've highlighted during the three weeks of these series, uh, this series. It's called For the Sake of the World. And while they play and sing, we'd love for you to go to the back of the room. There are some uh, markers on the floor um, and that poster back there. And we'd love for you to write the one or two names or three, however many, that God has put on your heart to reach for Jesus. And we're going to leave that poster up all summer long as a reminder that we've done this and as we, uh, that we need to be praying for our neighborhoods. And we're going to pray over that from time to time. We're going to pray over our neighbors and pray that we could love right where we are. And how cool would it be at the end of August when we have our next scheduled baptism service that we're seeing lots of people being baptized up here and telling stories and maybe I mean, maybe some of them have their name on that poster. I want to be a part of that. I hope you want to be a part of that too. Our part's not to drag them here. It's to be faithful, to be praying for them, and to cultivate, and to plant, and to reap. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I am uh, so thankful for the instruction you give us. And I'm thankful for the relief, quite frankly, that, that there are other workers in our neighborhood, and we just need to pray to you for them. And so, God, we ask you right now to send workers out in the field, that the harvest is great, it's plenty, we know that. Lord, we pray that you would raise us up to be kingdom workers and that you would show us the people around us who want to team up with that. God, as we think about our neighbors that we want to help reach for you, I just lift up those names right now. In just a minute, we're going to go back and write those names on that poster. And um, God, I just pray even now, before those names are up there, that you're calling out to those people, that you're working in their hearts, that you're helping us prepare the soil so that when we go and ask those spiritual questions and start those spiritual conversations, Lord, that they'd be ready. God, I pray that we would have bold faith 
that we would go forth in your name and that we would proclaim your truth and your mercy and your grace to the people around us that we could love right where we are. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Anytime you want to get up during this song and go write those names on that poster, you're welcome to do that.